That's right. We're back with the RBA podcast after a little bit of a hiatus. But, uh, well, it's good to be back after seven rounds uh, in the books here in the RBA in the 10th season. Um, Got a lot of things to catch up on, some streaks to talk about, um, some interesting parallels and an early season trade to discuss as well. So uh, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a mixed bag here at the beginning and then try to uh, sum up the first six rounds of the season. Um, I believe when last we met, we had... Uh, We've gone through the first couple of uh, the first couple of rounds, but I'm going to take you through how uh, how the teams look through six, and give you a snapshot of week seven, which is just in the books today, hot off the presses and in your inboxes. Uh, the first thing that I want to address, though, before I get to all of that, a um, couple of things that have happened. First of all, um, had some teams here coming into week seven. Uh, one team, Silver City, was six and zero. Uh, another team, State College, same division, was 0-6. And uh, having uh, you know, lost or won the first six games of the season, I started to think about what teams had done that. If it had done before, what is the longest streak uh, to start a season either way? So I went back in the RBA annals. Not the, you know, Jeff, let's let's calm down. It, switchboard is lighting up again, but, but Hobbs, I need to tell you, I said annals, two wins. Um so I've got three teams here in the history, in the vaunted nine-year history of the RBA, that started out with at least six wins. And they were the 2008 Buffalo Wild Wings, who did go on to make the playoffs. Uh, they qualified as the wild card after being Chicago in a one-game playoff for the playoffs. Um, lost a tough seven-game first-round series to eventual RBA champion Arizona. They started out 6-0, and lost in Game 7. Uh, the 2005 State College Cows, who posted the second-best record of all time, 57-24, and uh, en route to the title that year over Las Vegas in six. And the 2003 Walla Walla Koalas, who did start 6-0 and and also ran it all the way up to 9-0 and that year. They won their first, they swept, I should say, their first three series of the season. In fact, in their seventh game, the one that is now the record uh, up till now, we, we will see, but um, that set their, uh, the record for seventh straight win to start a season was the last no-hitter in RBA history to date. We've had two, both by Walla Walla, both over Chicago. Uh, so some of you may not know that. Um, this one fashioned by Chris Reedsma in the seventh game of the 2003 season. Walla Walla won that game over Chicago 10 to nothing. Uh, resounding win to go to seven and zero. They ended up sweeping that series, went to nine and zero, and they lost in Game Ten of that season. And we come full circle because they lost to the Silver City Vultures. And of course, Silver City, the uh, perhaps the surprise lone remaining unbeaten at six and zero. They have uh, they've swept State College, they've swept uh, Buffalo, and now they're coming into a series against Dunedin at six and zero. Um, they stand atop, of course, among everyone. They have the best record. Obviously, they are the only team at six and zero. So uh, we'll see how they fare this week against Dunedin in the Week Seven wrap up. We will cover that. Just briefly, I want to also mention that uh, in Saturn news, State College, as I said, did come into this round 0-6. And surprisingly, maybe on, on the other side of the ledger, there's only one team that has ever 
before this season lost its first six games. So not the galactically bad Orlando Calrissians of 08, not the galactically bad Arizona Greenbacks of 06 or the Dunedin Clear Blues of 07, not even the Chicago Wave of 02. Pick any galactically bad team you'd like. None of them had lost the first six games of the season in a row except the expansion 2007 Atlanta Avalanche started out 0-6 but did win their seventh game. So the crux of that is if State College managed to lose this round, they would set the record for most losses to begin a season. So we'll get into that in a second. Um, the other thing that I want to mention, there's been some some rumblings over the early uh, mid-season trade made uh, very, very uh, early in this season between Arizona and Elm Grove. Of course, if you don't know, Arizona traded the first pick of the third round, but who many thought might be a first-round pick, or may, uh, definitely a second. Garrett Jones traded from Arizona to Elm Grove. And uh, some have some have mentioned some trades in the past in comparison, and, and the one trade that I hear is what's known as the Isringhausen trade. Now, for those of you who are not savvy to the ways of the Arizona Greenbacks, um, Jeff Hobbs has a way of being tantalized by draft picks, even in years that he's attempting to compete. And the story goes, in 2003, uh, locked in a battle with Elm Grove for the division title, back when they were in the same division. Um, Very early in the season, just like this one, is like this trade was, Arizona traded Jason Jason Isringhausen over to Elm Grove for a future pick and Chris Hammond, whom replaced Isringhausen as the closer. Um, this is always mentioned as evidence uh, that, uh, you know, always mentioned when a contender trades something for future value. Not to say that it's completely illogical, and of course Hobbs would defend it and will to his dying day, I'm sure. Um, but this just reminds me of something else uh, other than that one, because Isringhausen had come over in a trade. And, and by the way, if you want to know the particulars of that trade back in 03, uh, the Isringhausen trade came about because one Matt Cooper, who was holding over Isringhausen from his uh, daunted and uh, just uh, words fail me, his uh, expansion season bullpen featuring Arthur Rhodes, Isringhausen, Tom Gordon, etc. If you don't know the details of that, believe me, it's probably better left that way. Um, so he was a holdover from Cooper's team. And uh, he traded, Cooper traded Isringhausen over to Arizona along with his late first round pick to move up into the middle of the second, uh, excuse me, the middle of the first round. And uh, both teams ended up taking pitchers with their first round picks. And so you think, well, maybe Isringhausen wasn't the the key player in the deal, you know, the mid first round pick. But of course, Matt Cooper traded up that year to take none other than Southpaw Damian Moss, who now uses his left arm for another reason, which is to put the egg cartons on top of the canned goods at the grocery store, probably one near you. So that has to be said when we talk about Jeff Hobbs trading first-round picks. Jason Isringhausen was traded to move down in the first round to take Joel Pinheiro, who started for Arizona in this week. So we come full circle with that again. Before I leave this subject, though, I just want to mention that this may be a harbinger of things to come. There have been two other times that Arizona has traded a high draft pick uh, 
uh, in early, very early in the season. In fact, they have a, as Booker would say, a propensity. Gosh darn it, a propendency, I should say. Propensity is, of course, the correct word. Uh, to do this, to draft a player with a high pick and then send him off almost immediately within the first four or five weeks of the season. In 2004, it was Alex Centrone, selected with the 10th pick of the first round, traded immediately to Chicago, who's attempting to compete that year. Arizona ended up not competing that year. Uh, in 2006, it was first-round pick Jason Giambi, shipped immediately to Silver City for a future first-round pick. So this is perhaps the third deal in the past seven years, six, seven years, in which Arizona has traded a high draft pick that could have helped the team for something in the future. But don't worry. Arizona won 58 games when they traded an early pick before. Uh, 58 games combined between the two seasons. Of course, Arizona went 34 and 47 in 04 and 24 and 57 in 06. But I'm sure that things will turn out fine for Arizona. After all, they are the favorite this year, right? Well, they do come into week seven at three and three, just like the rest of the Larkin division. Um, all teams playing in the, the first two rounds of the season there in, in the Larkin division, of course, playing interdivision, uh, ended up at 500. So that means that Arizona's going to face off with Fort Duquesne. One of those teams will be below 500 at the end of that series. And Orlando's going to face off with Atlanta, and one of those teams will be above 500. So maybe a surprise early contender and a surprise disappointment early season in the Larkin Division. As we said, in the pocket, we have Silver City at 6-0, and and Dunedin is in second place at 4-2. and They have their chance to bring Silver City down a couple of pegs, of course, here in this upcoming series as they face off Dunedin coming off the sweep of State College. And Buffalo is 2-4 and four after being swept at the hands of Silver City, and State College, as we said, is 0-6. Over in the Clemente division, a little bit of a surprise, but uh, a tie. Las Vegas has jumped up at 4-2, and two, coming off a big sweep of Baltimore, who was one of the two favorites in that division. Vegas making an early statement. They are tied with Elm Grove, 4-2. and two. Uh, Baltimore is in uh, third place behind the tie at 3-3. Three and three. And SoCal just got their first ever franchise win over Elm Grove. Um, so they are 1-5 and five coming into this round. So... Let's just uh, run down a, a little bit of what happened in this round, and then I'll make a few notes about some of the leaders, some of the, the trends that I've noticed, um, and then we'll wrap up this RBA podcast, and hopefully we'll be able to send out another one in the upcoming week, kind of wrap up this series of games. Um, first of all, the first game that was played here in Week 7 of the 10th season was State College at Buffalo. So uh, right off the bat, we get to see whether State College is going to set the record for most losses to begin a season. And after uh, Prince Fielder homered in the top of the first inning, it went downhill for rookie Brett Anderson on the hill. Uh, he gave up two runs in the bottom of the first to uh, Victor Martinez on an RBI triple, Milton Bradley a sack fly, and then two more in the bottom of the second, tacking it on to make it 4-1 to one, as Juan Pierre had a single in both of those first two innings. So Buffalo came out uh, behind Ubaldo Jimenez 4-1 to one as they went to the fifth. 
Uh, State College did claw back a little bit there. They got an RBI triple from uh, rookie Cliff Pennington at shortstop and then a sack fly from uh, Prince Fielder. To make it 4-3, to three, Buffalo did tack one more on solo homer by Clint Barmas, and that would be the end of the scoring. Mariano Rivera nailed it down in the end, and Buffalo moved to 3-4 and four as State College fell to 0-6. State College had 13 hits in the game, but only two of them went for extra bases, and they stranded quite a few runners. They couldn't get them in. Two errors also on uh, Chris Davis. And, uh, you know, Chris Davis of what gives? Why am I in the middle of this lineup after performing so well in the championship? So maybe still a little bitter, taking it out there into the field with his glove. The second game we played was between Orlando and Atlanta, and the Calrissians put Roy Halladay on the mound to face uh, left-hander Barry Zito. And Orlando, looking to come above 500, came out early. Uh, Gary Matthews Jr., Little Sarge, with a two-run homer in the first inning, scored three more in the second on a series of hits. Um, Kelly Johnson chipped in an RBI single. There was a two-run single by Gary Matthews, giving him four RBI in the first two innings. Uh, Orlando built that 5 to nothing lead and really didn't look back behind Roy Halladay. Um, Halliday did go the distance, nine innings, seven hits, no earned runs. He gave up one unearned run coming off an error on Michael Young. He walked one and he struck out nine. So uh, Orlando's workhorse, Roy Halliday, carries them to the win, and they move to four and three on the season as they tack 11 by the end on Atlanta. Um, Luke Hoshaver came in, gave up four runs late, including a three-run homer to Kelly Johnson. So 11 to 1 and Orlando is above 500 at 4 and 3. Little bit of a surprise, but they are riding Carpenter and Halliday so far. Uh, Carpenter and Halliday of Orlando is 3 and 1 and games started by them. They are 2 and 0 themselves. Uh, just some numbers on them while we're talking about it. Carpenter 16 innings, a 1.13 ERA. Halliday 17 innings, a 1.06 ERA. Just incredible stats through two starts for those two pitchers. Four earned runs and 33 combined innings, two complete games. Uh, wouldn't everyone, every team like to get that out of their one and two starters? Um, here's a team, Las Vegas, playing SoCal. Their number one starter's been performing, but Dan Heron had a bad first start, and he came out and gave up four runs in the first three innings to SoCal. The Templar Knights, coming off their first win, jumped out on them with a two-run homer in the first by Adrian Gonzalez, an RBI double in the second by Jason Jaramillo, filling in for an injured Giovanni Soto, and then a second home run by Adrian Gonzalez, this time a solo shot in the third, and Heron had uh, staked them to a 4 to nothing lead through uh, three innings. It stayed that way all the way to the fifth. Paul Mahalan was holding the, the dam back of the Las Vegas scoring machine against a left-hander, but uh, it uh, eventually broke. In the fifth inning, uh, Las Vegas started it up with a couple of back-to-back -back RBI singles by Isturis and uh, Carlos Lee and then finished it off with an RBI single by Dan Heron himself. Um, they ended up getting another home run, or getting, I'm sorry, their first home run uh, by Ryan Spielborgs, and then right on the heels of that, Nelson Cruz with the solo home run. That was in the eighth inning, and uh, Las Vegas ended up coming all the way back, those two home runs coming off of Jesse Chavez in the eighth to win 6-5. to five. They ripped this one away from uh, SoCal. Uh, when they had a four to nothing lead, looked like they might go to two and five. But Las Vegas, bit of a surprise, five and two and riding high uh, atop the Clemente division. 
Uh, and then then we played the big matchup over in the Larkin, the, the two favorites over there. Uh, we thought that both these teams would probably make the playoffs. It was uh, Arizona and Fort Duquesne. And this one was a pitcher's duel. Uh, two of the last three games of this round were pitcher's duels. This one was between Joel Pinheiro and Clayton Kershaw. And uh, Kershaw was scattering walks through the uh, early innings. He walked... He walked four in the first two, but managed to not give up a hit until the fourth inning. He uh, didn't give up anything but singles. In fact, Arizona got nothing but singles in the entire game, which definitely hurt them. Uh, The first score was in the bottom of the sixth. The first run to come across was on an RBI single by Prince Albert Pujols, who went two for four on the day. He drove in Rajay Davis, filling in the leadoff spot, and the Corsairs went up one to nothing. They tacked on to the bottom of the seventh off Matt Garrier, who gave up his fourth homer of the season already. Staggering amount. Gave up a solo homer to Mike Napoli, and it was two to nothing, Corsairs. Arizona just could not hit Kershaw through seven. He ran up a pitch count, though, with five walks and eight strikeouts through seven innings. Typical. And, uh... It went into the ninth at two to nothing, but they had to contend. Arizona did with Brian Wilson instead of Kershaw. Uh, Brian Wilson came out a little shaky. He has uh, his three saves coming into this game, tied for the lead coming into this round, but has been a little shaky. And he immediately gave up singles to Aaron Hill and pinch hitter Todd Helton. And after striking out Nick Johnson, he gave up an RBI single to Derek Jeter. It looked a little tenuous for Fort Duquesne with uh, a one-run lead in first and second and one out, but Wilson struck out Brad Hopp and Ryan Zimmerman to end the game. And the Arizona Greenbacks stranded some more runners. They, in fact, had 13, make it 14 base runners in this uh, in this game, and they score only once. They have had a problem with stranding base runners, which is parallel to the problem of not getting enough extra base hits. So those two things have doomed them to a three-and-four start. Hard luck loss to Joel Pinheiro there. So Fort Duquesne ties Orlando atop the division, and Arizona's below 500. Uh, we had a little bit of a wild one in Baltimore between Elm Grove and the Brood. Uh, Elm Grove came in 4-2. and two. Baltimore, after sweeping SoCal, was swept at the hands of Las Vegas. They're trying to rebound. But Carlos Zambrano dug them a 4-1 to one hole through the first three-and-a-half innings. Uh, Elm Grove in the top of the fourth ended up adding to their lead uh, when Joe Maurer hit a two-run double. They'd already gotten RBI singles from Chu and Scudero. Joe Maurer reached base four times, and he is just setting up a camp at first base for Elm Grove this season. He's got him a snack bar out there. He's pulling up a table. He's, you know, he's making some decorated, decorative ideas. He's going to put some wallpaper up. He actually is leading the league with an on-base percentage of 552. He has 29 plate appearances and has reached 16 times. So Joe Maurer, we knew he would be a monster. We did not know he would be this big of a monster through seven games. He has been on base all the time. Uh, however, after getting that 4-1 to one lead, Baltimore tacked on one in the bottom of the fourth and then the big shot and another offensive player of note to start this season. Jason Bay, with two outs and two on in the bottom of the fifth, hit a three-run home run to turn it from a 4-2 to two game into a 5-4 to four Baltimore lead. And that was his fifth home run in the seven games that we have played. 
He has five homers and 15 RBI through seven games, the clear leader in both categories this season in the RBA. So Jason Bay, a menace in the middle of Baltimore's lineup. He gave them the lead. They tacked one on in the bottom of the seventh on an RBI single by Bobby Abreu, and that was all they'd need. Sean Burnett, Trevor Miller, Kevin Jepsen closed it out for Baltimore, and they stopped the three-game losing streak. And Elm Grove and Baltimore both 4-3 and three now, one back of the first-place effect. And then the very last game of the round was Dunedin at Silver City. As always, we saved the pivotal matchup for last, and it was a pivotal one. Silver City attempting to stay unbeaten, but they had a tough assignment with Dunedin and John Lester on the hill. Another pitcher's duel between Marquis and Lester. This one went scoreless just at the top of the fourth when Joey Votto teed off on a Jason Marquis pitch for a solo home run, making it one to nothing clear blues. Uh, and then in the top of the sixth, they tacked on with an RBI single by Ronnie Belliard, filling in for an injured Ben Zoberst. Drove in Votto, who scored his second run of the game, of course. And Dunedin built a 2 to nothing lead. And John Lester was throwing BBs out there. He ended up going seven and a third innings, only four hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts to lead the round. Uh, he put in a great performance. However, he did put two on in the bottom of the eighth with nobody out. Excuse me, with one out, I should say. Second and third with one out was the situation after Denard Spann doubled after a Edwin Encarnacion single. So it was second and third, one out. Jason Fraser was brought in. He gave up a sack fly that broke up the shutout, but got out of it other than that. So it was two to one as it went to the ninth. And Dunedin did tack on a run in the ninth. Kelly Shopik started out with a walk, a single by Creedy, another walk by Cabrera, and a sack fly by Ryan Braun. That was off, mostly off of Sean Camp there of the Vultures. Made it 3-1. to one, And Breslow closed it out for Dunedin in the bottom of the ninth with pretty much little fanfare. And it was a 3-1 to one win for Dunedin and the first loss of the season for the Silver City Vultures. Their lead over Dunedin slips to a mere game. So Dunedin 5-2, five, five and two, Silver City 6-1, and one, and still not since 2003 in those Walla Walla Koalas who came very close to winning the championship. Not since then has a team started out any better than 6-0. and oh. But congratulations to the Vultures who put up that nice streak to start the season. State College will try to get off the schneid in the next round when they battle Buffalo again. And so we'll see if they can cut it off at 0-7 and, and get in the win column for the first time. So uh, in our next podcast, maybe we'll take a look at some of the leaders, some of the team stats, some of the things interesting about the league thus far this year. Um, but for now, until next time on the RBA podcast, this is your commissioner signing off. <laughs>